Oh, today we are changing things up a little bit. I am hanging out with award-winning journalist Emerald Morrow. You know, they tell me I get to hang out with you and the office gets bigger. <laughs> I mean, you got that kind of clout? I, I mean, you know, I do what I can. You're trying to be modest here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just Look, playing around with this you. This is an awesome backdrop, no it doubt. It is. It's beautiful. But, you know, what people may not know is it's also the backdrop to a big problem in the community that you not necessarily uncovered, but you are shining a huge light on it, and for good reason. You're talking about fentanyl. You and I were speaking about this the other day. Uh, it is a problem that is touching every community, and we're seeing it touch other communities disproportionately. Yeah, most definitely. So, 10 Investigates is working on this huge special about fentanyl in the Tampa Bay area, mm -hmm. and you're absolutely right. It is a problem that is hitting most every community, and the stories that we hear are just very heartbreaking. I specifically am taking a look at how this is impacting the African-American community because what we have seen with fentanyl and right. opioids in general was that mostly um, the usage was among white Americans at higher rates. But what we're seeing now is that the numbers for the African-American community are rising faster, almost more so than any other group. So that's according to researchers that we've spoken with. And it is a serious, serious problem in this community. And ironically, this morning I was on a shoot related right. to this story. Yeah. And what I heard from a pastor in the community out of South St. Petersburg. That's why I wanted to take it to the church. Oh, take yeah, you've got to take it yeah. to the church. And a pastor was telling me he was just dealing not too long ago with someone, a young person in right. his church, 14 years old, that um, he had to go to the hospital. And he went because he smoked a marijuana joint that was laced with spice and fentanyl. It was deeper than marijuana. Yes. Yes. So what happens a lot of times with fentanyl is people don't know that they're taking fentanyl, mm -hmm. right? So they don't go out and say, yeah, I'm looking for a hit of this. It's oftentimes mixed with other drugs. And so drug dealers will cut drugs like cocaine with fentanyl. They want fentanyl. their drug supply to stretch. That's exactly what researchers say, for sure. And so in a case like this, you had marijuana. Now, I don't really understand the, the trappings of all of that and how that works out in terms mm -hmm. of how that mm -hmm. might be cut, but it was certainly laced with marijuana and fentanyl. Well, the marijuana joint was laced with spice and fentanyl. And this is something that we're seeing. And this kid was only 14 years old and wound up in the hospital. You say was. Do we know the current condition of that? We that don't child? know the current condition, but I do believe that he's expected to be okay. My goodness. You say 14, and I saw, I saw it in your eyes, because that is shocking in and of itself right there. Only 14 years old and access to whatever is out there and whatever can grab a hold of anyone's kid. A lot of people say, oh, it's, it's not going to happen to me, but it's that easy. It can happen to anybody, and it is just so widely available, and especially with young people kids do like to experiment and they mm -hmm. think that they're taking something that again marijuana is something that has become more and more popular and more and more accepted so they think that that's something safe but when you're getting it off of the streets you don't always know what's in it so we're staying in the church i grew up in the church you grew up in the church right yes, so what does outreach look like right about now because as we talk about this pandemic being factored into this whole equation right a lot of people turn to the church for that support but anymore, that looks a little bit different. What'd you find there? Well, there are a lot of different components yeah. to that. So with the pandemic, which is one of the timelines that we saw an increase with the use of fentanyl, churches were closed. And that's a huge, huge arena of support 
for the African-American community. Mm -hmm. So when you don't have church around, which as we know in the black community, you go several times a week yeah. in a lot of churches, Bible study, choir <laughs> rehearsal, you know, Sunday service, Sunday school. You took me back there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I well, I mean, yeah, people you are, live there. You live there yeah. and people did not have that support system in, in many cases. And so, you know, people were trying to find ways to deal with stress. And again, this mm -hmm. is all according to researchers who who are studying the impacts that this has had in, in this community and, and looking specifically at the church. And this morning, another pastor that I yeah. spoke to, um, he has been fervently working sure. against the opioid crisis and has partnered with a lot of different community organizations and researchers to, to try to get a hold of this problem. And he says that we've got to get rid of the stigma yes. in the church and that yeah. it's not something that, you know, has always been talked about. It's taboo to talk about drugs. It's taboo to talk about our families. And one of the things that he said that stood out to me, he said that it's easy to focus on communions sure. and weddings and Sunday schools, but we really got to get to the heart of, of people's problems. Because when you're, when you don't have hope, when you find yourself in a place of despair, you may turn to things that could harm you. And that is what researchers say they've seen. We've got to get it out the mud, essentially, right? We've got to get down and dirty and get in there and talk to people where they are. We've got to meet them where they are. Most definitely. And so to do that, too, there is a phenomenal uh, research institute yeah. at the University of South Florida. Dr. Micah Johnson, who's going to be featured in my piece, he is on the, the forefront of looking into this issue. And he recently got a huge uh, grant from the federal government to... Um, to kind of develop this institute that's going to take researchers and have them specifically look at some of these issues and how it's disproportionately impacting this community. Well, that touches upon my next question because I was going to ask, what what does this this uh, immersion, this help look like as far as we know right now? Because, I mean, you know, we're, we're kind of building this plane as we're taking this journey, unfortunately, but some of it's still coming together. But as far as we know, what does the help look like? That is an excellent question because I think a lot of people are still trying to flesh out what that looks like. Obviously, there are definitely drug treatment centers, there are support centers, there are support groups, but the word in terms of getting this out into the community is something that the pastors that I've spoken to um, is something that lacks. And so there has to be better outreach. There has to be better intervention efforts to, to reach this community. And the pastor was also saying that in the black community, there are different ways of dealing with issues. So we have to really take a more culturally sensitive approach to dealing with this. And so those are some of the types of solutions that they're trying to work on. Isn't that something cultural competency matters, right? It does. It really does. And as I do this research and as I talk to researchers and people in the community, you really do understand that different groups of people, yeah. because of where they live or how they were raised, have uh, different ways of dealing with things. And so you have to, again, as you said, meet people where they are and understand and look at life through their eyes because that's the way you're going to reach people. So having said that, you've spoken with um, all these leaders in the faith community and for great reason because they have the ear of their communities. How are they doing? Because some of these pastors are presiding over, over you know, situations dealing with death and dying. They've presided over many funerals. How are they holding up? And they've, by the way, survived through this pandemic. They are very busy 
they're holding on. Yeah. They're holding on and they are holding on to their faith at this time, uh -huh. but they are very, very busy in dealing with all of these different stressors that are impacting these communities. They, their phones are ringing off the hook, not just as it relates to drugs, but stress that other people are dealing with in terms of maybe job loss. We're obviously having, you know, an economic situation happening right now with inflation and, and job loss and all sorts this of things. This is a hell of a cocktail. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if you want to put it that way. I, I mean, would say we're so. talking about a situation where, as you're mentioning, all these different ingredients are going into it, and it's it's a lot. It is a lot, and also when you think about drug use and drug abuse, treatment, right, often requires you to have insurance or some sort of way to to pay for that treatment. If you're working a, a lower income job and you don't have health insurance, then mm -hmm. it's going to be more difficult for you to get the adequate treatment that you need. So it's tough. It's really difficult. And what the USF researcher said at the outset of our conversation is that medicines universally have been a way to deal with physical pain, right? Mm -hmm. These things that people are taking are their medicines yeah. and their way of coping with this pain, but we have to figure out a way to, to make sure that they're dealing with this and using sure. the right medicines. And I say that not just in terms of the physical form, but what other medicines can we offer people, therapies and things like that to, to make sure they're working through their issues and can sure, cope. Sure. Anytime, uh, you know, folks may not know this at home, but anytime we pitch a story, it's typically because we know something about it. But then there's also that discovery process. What did you figure out that you thought, oh my goodness, this is eye-opening for me and I've seen this from what I thought was every angle and now I see this? That is a tough question because I don't know what about this was eye-opening for me because unfortunately mm -hmm. um, I am very aware and very attuned to the ills that plague the African-American community. So maybe some of the nuances of how the drug gets into the community. I think one of the things that did surprise me was the prevalence of how fentanyl is cut with other drugs and how it's um, so quickly getting into people's systems and things sure. like that. So that was certainly a surprise. But what what was eye-opening was how researchers really want to continue to bring to light that this is not the first time the African-American community has faced an opioid epidemic. And right. even going before the crack. Before the crack epidemic. Before that, heroin yes. was, was a, a huge destructive factor in the African-American community. And we had an opportunity to um, get a behind the scenes look at the researcher talking to someone who was impacted by heroin and this man said that he started using when he was 11 years old. 11 years old was the first time that he had ever... Did he say who put it in his hands? He did not say who put it in his hands, but what he did say was it was just what everybody did. He came from a single-parent home. He was essentially raising himself out on the streets, doing what he thought was cool, mm -hmm. what everybody else did. So it was just that common. Yeah. And, and that's what happens when we normalize things and then we turn a blind eye to it, which is why I'm so thankful that you talk about these issues um, and talk about what needs to be done. You know, I, I think we were talking the other day and coming from Northeast Ohio, working there for six years in the Cleveland market, something that was eye opening to me, not necessarily uh, the problem at hand, but the volume of the problem as we were talking about morgues being overwhelmed. 
because of so many fatal overdoses that were taking place and the push for the public to learn how to administer Narcan, something that can reverse this overdose and, and help an individual who, who may be um, taking his or her last breaths. That was something that really gripped me. Um, is there a push here for folks to learn how to utilize Narcan for people they may or may not know? The Florida Department of Health has a really strong program and they have a website where you can go and find out where Narcan is available in your community. So there are some really strong efforts to make sure that it is widely available. The problem is, especially in the African-American community, is that the education component may not always be there, not in terms of uh, what they don't know inherently, but in terms of just them understanding how to use it, in terms of making sure that they know where to go. So this conversation about the church and the pastors, that's something that they're saying, we've got to break down this stigma and like, we've got to talk about these things. It needs to be available here. You know, it needs to be a safe place where people can come and, and learn about these things and have these conversations because if we're not helping real people with their problems, then we're not doing much at all. No, um, so we have to get rid of that holier than thou uh, mindset, right? That is what they say, yes. Um, so this individual who's who was 11 years old when he first started using, how? What, what, what is he up to today? He, um, for a period in his life, was in and out of trouble with the law. Right. But now, you know, works to try to share his story to make sure that young people understand that this is not the route to go. So that USF researcher is trying to learn as much as he can from this individual and understand, like, why did you begin to do this and kind of get into the psychology of things mm -hmm. to really help understand and, and use some of that information and apply it to what's happening today. I would imagine, and I, I won't speak for you because I know you'll speak for yourself, do you feel like the work you're doing is helping individuals who may not set foot in the African-American community very often, if ever, this work that you're doing will help them see this particular community uh, better? I hope so. I hope so. I can never say for sure, but I certainly hope so. Um, I think that there are a lot of stereotypes that are passed around and whenever you have an opportunity to actually humanize I think that that always helps and I hope that is what this story does because at the end of the day we're really all the same we may have different ways of um, communicating we mm -hmm. may live in different neighborhoods mm -hmm. but we all want the same thing we want our children to be safe we want our our kids to go to good schools yeah. we want the same things when it comes down to it so I think if people can just look at everybody else's base level we're all humans and we want the same thing that we can have more open minds about why these issues are important and why it is important to pay attention to them in communities outside of your own so i asked that to ask this how are you doing because this is a lot <laughs> and i know that sometimes it's difficult to uh well these stories never leave you they never leave you so how are you holding up i'm holding up pretty well you know you find your own ways of coping with the things that you encounter on, on a daily basis but it really is invigorating work it's difficult work but um i really enjoy having the opportunity to talk to so many people and it refreshes me to know that we're shining a light on some of these issues so that is what gets me through the difficult that's times. what fuels you <laughs> that that fuels because sometimes you might run on fumes right Yes, most definitely. Because you mentioned all those elements, the pandemic and everything else that's going on around you. 
you're not immune to any of those things. No, definitely not. And none of us are. And mm -hmm. we've all over time have tried to figure out ways to cope. And I mean, just personally, you know, you just try to take care of your mental health. You try to take care of yourself physically. You know, I personally have like really strong family support. So yeah. I call them all the time after a long day's work and we talk about things. But um, it, again, is very invigorating work to have these conversations about what is happening in these communities. How do you decompress? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, coming out to beautiful places like this, nice walk, Yeah. exercise, um, talking to my dad, he's, he's my bestie, talking to my mom too, and yeah. um, always finding that comfort in, in people that you love and people sure. that love you who can talk to you about these things and can talk to you about anything else. You know, it, it's always great to have that support system. That is what really holds me up. All right, so so when you call Emerald's phone, that's like the nexus, right? Like that's where everybody turns for information. So we got to ask, um, where might one turn um, if they're looking for help? The immediate answer in, in a certain time and place would have been your church, your pastors. That brings us full circle. But any advice for folks who uh, are down in the dumps right now and they might need some help and they don't know where to go and they don't want to be judged either. Mm -hmm. Most definitely, we have um, made some connections with the Crisis Center and we have alerted them to this, this series that we're working on, this series of stories for this special and they're making themselves available during the time that we air the special, but they're available at any time. So the Crisis Center is a great resource for people to go to and, and talk to someone who's just going to listen, who's not going to judge, and it's just a great way to get additional resources and support. So I would certainly point anybody looking for help feeling down in that direction. No doubt. So clearly the problem out there that we're dealing with, it looks like you, it looks like us, it looks like the entire community. It really does, and it's touching so many people that chances are no matter who you are what your background is your race your gender mm -hmm. your sexual orientation any of those things your age you know somebody who's been impacted by fentanyl no doubt well next time i want a big office i'm hollering at you thank you so much until next time have a good one